It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Oscar goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that's what you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Time of recording is 11.23 a.m. on November 4th, 2018. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Will Mathody. Anakin, I I told you it would come to this. I was right. The Jedi are taking over. Okay. (laughs) Katie Schaefer. Hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And she's back, everyone, J.C. Aldridge. Hi, everybody. Aw, J.C., we missed you. No, you didn't. You're right. (laughs) I'm lying, of course. (laughs) Uh, Well, a serious matter, actually. Uh, I want to just start off this episode, first of all, for those that are listening to this on, say, Sunday, Monday, or early Tuesday. Michael, uh, you have a message for everyone. Yes, so if you are listening to this podcast on or before Tuesday, November 6th, please, please, please get out and vote. You know, this is far and away the most crucial election of our generation. I don't have to go on a long rant to tell you how bad things are in this country right now and how important we need, how important it is for change. But we have a real opportunity to create lasting change this coming Tuesday, and all it takes is the push of a button. So ignore all of the noise, ignore all of the polls, get out and vote, preferably for Democrats, and see the results. Bring a friend or try to make a way or find a way to make it fun. Just get out and do it. You know, your voice matters, but your vote is what really counts. So get out there on Tuesday, November 6th. Well said. And thank you, everyone, very, very much for that. Speaking of voting, let's start off today's episode actually with the polls. Let's get those out of the way, actually. (laughs) I know you like that transition, don't you? Great segue, Matt. All right. So for last week's poll, it was centered around Bohemian Rhapsody, which uh, opened this weekend. Has anyone here on the show seen the movie yet? No. Not yet. Am I the only one? Well, then I have. We. Oh, oh, that's right, Josh. You and I. <laughs> we talked about it yesterday. <laughs> you are the champion, Seth. Oh, geez, Louise. Yeah. Um, not that great. Mm. Uh, but but Malik, I think, is worth the price of admission. Do you agree, Josh, or would you say it's still a firm no? Um, I mean, I think overall the movie is still not very good. But if you feel compelled to see it because of Malik, I think you would not be disappointed if that's the only thing you're interested in. Not to mention, too, if you like Queen's music, I I do think that this movie obviously delivers on that. You know, I mean, there's a whole concert at the end of the movie that plays out unbroken in real time for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. I mean, the music's great, but, you know, music is Queen. You could you don't need to necessarily see the movie to hear the music. Absolutely. Well, in any event, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Malik later on. We have some fan questions pertaining to him and his chances within the Oscar race. But for this week's, uh, last week's poll, we asked everyone, which is their favorite musical biopic? We had a lot of different choices, some loose choices, too, that were thrown in there. Some stuff that played a little, uh, you know, loose with the facts. So, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is obviously listed there as a result. Um, But... Let's uh, take a look and see which one uh, won out this poll here. So uh, before I reveal the winner, uh, Michael, do you have a preference for your favorite musical biopic of all time? I do, and it actually wasn't even on the list on the website. Oh, what is that? So I did a write-in. 
for 2004's De Lovely, the Cole Porter film. Oh, oh, so you're the one who wrote in De Lovely. Awesome. Yes, with uh, Kevin Klein and Ashley Judd, which I think is a really wonderful film. A solid I saw movie. When I was really, really young, you know, my grandparents loved Cole Porter and I saw it with them. And it just gave me this newfound appreciation. That's what sort of pushed me into loving, you know, Broadway and show tunes and his wit and style. So I really love that movie. And I think he's terrific in it. And just for the write-in folks, I want to uh, just give them uh, a little bit of a shout. We had some write-ins for The Runaways. Uh, we had a write-in for uh, Marina, Jersey Boys, What Happened to Miss Simone, The Doors. So uh, thank you to everyone who did a write-in for uh, this week's poll. Will Mavity, what is your favorite musical biopic? <laughs> oh, wait, we're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> oh. I mean, I, I know it's a song and all, but come on. <laughs> uh, I just picked a random time within the song, and it happened to be an unfortunate one. Uh, I, I put straight out of Compton. Uh, okay. Matt's going to edit out the clip of the song I played, but I'm a big NWA fan, and I thought that was actually a really compelling biopic. A lot of them fall into you know a lot of cliche tropes, but I felt that, felt like this one felt pretty fresh and still had one of maybe the best ensembles of 2015. Now, it's also relevant to mention I have embarrassingly never seen Amadeus, so... Mm. I love how we go from Cole Porter to NWA. (laughs) You know, Amadeus is going to be uh, our last Best Picture podcast review, Will, if you find time to squeeze it in before Wednesday. It's like three hours! I think you could do it. Okay, so you watch one hour Sunday, one hour Monday, one hour Tuesday. Exactly. No, no, it is morally wrong to watch a movie in more than one sitting. I refuse to do it. All right, then you didn't want to watch Eight and a Half with me, Will. I think that is an abomination to do to a movie film. I won't do it. Uh, Straight Outta Compton also is probably one of the most inspired screenplay nominations I think we've had so far this decade. It should have also gotten a supporting actor, without a doubt, though. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, Wait, but who who would you nominate for that? You would nominate, I imagine, uh, Mitchell? Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, he was phenomenal in that. Josh Parham, what about you? Uh, Well... If you know me even a little bit, no surprise, my pick would be Amadeus. It's fantastic movie, one of my all-time favorite Best Picture winners. That would be my vote, no contest. Okay. Uh, Katie Schaefer. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Josh. I've watched Amadeus and was fascinated by it the first time I saw it many, many years ago. And I still think it's such a great watch and so well done. Jay-Z? I feel like I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but... My favorite is Eight Mile, and I don't care what anybody says. Eight Mile is a good movie. There's nothing wrong with that. And Lose Yourself is a great best original song win. I don't care what anyone says. Mm-hmm. Even I as just, someone who loved the Chicago song, I could agree with that. <laughs> it's just a really good movie. And I just love how Eminem actually just... He's got... He has such an ego. He's, like, playing himself in a movie about himself. <laughs> that he wrote. Well, he didn't write it, but that makes me laugh. Anyways, that's mine, so okay, sticking to it. All right, nothing wrong there. Um, As I said uh, last week on the show, Amadeus is my personal favorite, but I voted for Straight Outta Compton. I wanted to give it some love. I really, really, really do enjoy that movie a lot. So now it is time to reveal the winner of the poll from last week. Runner-up, um, and I normally don't say what the runner-up is, but JC, just because you made a passionate plea, it is 8 Mile in 6th place with yes. 13 votes. <laughs> nice. In 5th place, uh, with 1 vote higher than 8 Mile with 14 votes, is La Vie and Rose, starring Marion Cotillard in, I I think, maybe maybe the performance of that decade, possibly. Decade? Oh, Wow. I wouldn't go that far. I, I, I don't think I, she's terrific, but I wouldn't go that far. I oh, I, I thought it was one of the best best actress performances I think I've ever seen. She's great. She's terrific in it. Yeah. Uh, in fourth place, with 16 votes, uh, Ray, Jamie Foxx. Also a great movie. Yeah, no, that, I, I got to say, like, a lot of people kind of, you know, I don't want to say they shit over, like, Ray and Walk the Line and things like that because they are. They do. They do shit on it. But, but, but it's weird how, like, we're. It's very weird how we we criticize Bohemian Rhapsody for being the standard biopic that goes from point A to point B. But these movies did it, too. But yet we like these movies for some reason more. Well, they get shit on now. People shit on Fox's Ray win, which I think is outrageous. I mean, they're like, oh, that was a transformation. Yeah. You know, like it's 
it doesn't matter if it's an imitation. You do a really, really convincing job of playing somebody. It's worth Oscar consideration in a role like that. Oh, well, maybe we might have to apply that to Malik then. Just throwing that out there. Uh, in third place, I'm very, very happy. 22 votes straight out of Compton. Nice. Second place, 42 votes, walk the line. And in first place with 57 votes, Josh Parr. It's Amadeus, isn't it? (laughs) Amadeus, Amadeus, rock me, Amadeus. Amadeus having a really good uh, couple weeks over at NBP. A lot of support for it. I'm loving it. I mean, I feel like anytime we included it in any poll, it might just win now. (laughs) I mean, it's many consider it one of the best, best picture winners of all time. I mean, it doesn't get discussed as much as the godfather Citizen Kane, but I know it typically has a high, high best films of all time list. Yeah, it ranks right up there. It's a terrific, terrific movie. And, you know, of these movies like The Rays and Walk the Lines, we look back like almost 15 years later and see them as maybe straightforward narratives. And just to go back to The Lovely just for one second, because it came out in that same era, that was a movie that was a musical biopic, but it had a twist to it in that it was Cole Porter at the end of his life watching his entire life as a musical on stage. Mm. So it was interesting to see them play around with these different tones, even if you did have these Oscar-winning films that were straightforward. Okay, so now for this week's poll, you know, the Oscar slate for this upcoming weekend was a little light. We have The Grinch opening, Overlord which I'm actually kind of really surprisingly looking forward to. Yeah. Because it just, it, it just looks like World War II zombies uh, playing out for me in a movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're a Call of Duty fan, that is. Uh, and then we also have uh, the girl in the spider's web with Claire Foy. So kind of light on uh, Oscar releases for this week. Some stuff will be expanding though, so be sure to check out some of that. So I thought like a couple of weeks ago, I had a poll question go up where I asked everyone what they feel is going to be the next best picture winner. And it was just kind of like to get a, you know, an idea of where people saw the race at that time. And I thought today, let's kind of change it up a little bit. Let's uh, get uh, everybody's thoughts and feelings on the best director race. And the reason why I thought this was appropriate is because as of November 1st, we have officially entered into phase two of the Oscar race. Phase two is when uh, the film festivals end. And primarily, yes, I know we have one more big one coming up. That's the AFI Film Festival. But in a couple of days' time, starting on November – actually, today, November 4th, we have the Hollywood Film Awards. Tomorrow, we have the International Documentary Awards nominations. We already got uh, the announcement this week for the British Independent Film Awards uh, for their nominations. And it's going to go so on and so on like this. This is pretty much now phase two where the film awards start to begin. And then uh, towards the end of the month in November, we'll have the NBR and the New York Film Critics Circle – announce uh their awards so and independent spirit awards yeah well we'll have nominations for independent spirit awards on the 16th mm-hmm. uh so i mean this is a very very exciting time for us and i thought why not look at another uh race right now let's take a look and see what's going on at best director um and this is before the critics start to chime in and it looks like someone uh like alfonso coron is going to be a very very heavy favorite i would imagine with the critics prizes this season but you know, you still have Bradley Cooper. You still have Marielle Heller for Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is getting stellar reviews. Barry Jenkins could come back. Spike Lee for Black Klansman. There's been a lot more rumblings about that. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways this race can go, and I don't think anything is necessarily settled yet. So, this week's poll is asking everyone, who do you think is going to win Best Director as of today? Michael Schwartz. I think Alfonso Cuaron is going to win his second Oscar this year. Anybody else agree with Michael? Yes, I currently have uh, Alfonso Cuaron in my number one spot. Yeah, I should say, actually, not his second Oscar. This will be his third. Yeah, his third. For editing. Mm-hmm. But his second best director win. Uh, will? I'm not. I mean, I've seen the film. I, I, think it's, I think his direction is spectacular. I just am not convinced that the Academy will ultimately go for this film in a win capacity in a lot of categories because it's, it's, it, it is a very, you know, it's, it's a very slowly paced film and I'm not sure all of them will stick with it. Also, some of the aspects of long takes that often help you win best director for really flashy direction there's lots of long takes, but they're not flashy in the way you might think of. It might be a camera mounted on a tripod for seven minutes, and 
a scene just unfolds or it might just be a pan for a film that relies so much on its director's vision its direction is surprisingly not flashy and to you know i i think i i could i could have sworn i said this when i saw it at uh, at nyff i think the thing that's holding alfonso coron back from me and you're touching upon it there will is i think the gravity win is so flashy and it's too recent that people might have that comparison in their head while they're voting and think to themselves, we already gave it to this guy. I don't think this work is as good, you know, and that, that might cost him a few votes and ultimately the win. Mm-hmm. Well, so then who do you see as the person to take advantage of uh, that lack of passion that might not, that might kind of be there for a call on then? Spike. I, I, I said it last week on the podcast, and I'm, I'm sticking with this for now. I even went on the site and edited my predictions. I have Black Klansman winning picture, director, and adapted screenplay. The more I think about it, I do think the love for Klansman is going to rear back up. Not necessarily enough to get it a picture win, but I do think it's going to hit phase two of its momentum, so to speak. Yeah, totally. And, it um, hits the... Uh, it's already on streaming and it's on Blu-ray this coming Tuesday. So it's the perfect time for it to come back around. And in these politically charged times with the midterms taking place every single time, I'm telling you every single time Trump is in the news, they're going to think of black Klansman's ending. And that's going to resonate with people in a very passionate way. Not just that, but the horrific massacre in Pittsburgh last week, you know, that was white nationalism right there. So you see these things 30 years apart or 40 years apart and, how not much has changed. All right, so let's ask uh, Katie. Katie, uh, who do you have winning Best Director as of today? Oh, I'm really conflicted about it. I think that, um, I think Spike Lee edges out for me just because of the political times and Spike being who he is in the movie. Uh, but I do want to bring up Steve McQueen here because- Thank you. Wh- Widows hasn't been released, but if they're looking for a flashy direction movie to honor this year, then McQueen, um, McQueen, I think will take it. Lanthimos would be my personal choice, but I think McQueen's insane skill with the camera and how he uses it in this movie is definitely worth a nomination, if not a win. So I don't know who else has seen Widows. I have. I'm seeing it tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm totally argue. I am 100% pushing for Widows here on Steve McQueen. That film was so incredible. Um, it's I really feel like it's probably my favorite film of the year so far. Granted, I haven't seen Black Klansman yet, so I don't I can't really speak to that other than all the good things I've heard. But Widows and it fits in so many issues social issues, political issues in the most realistic way. I just think it's a really incredible piece of cinema that is really going to make waves. I totally agree with you, Katie. I think McQueen is going to come out from behind more than anything. It's interesting to have Wait, both some... and Barry Jenkins in the director conversation this year because they both won Best Picture of their films, but they didn't win Best Director. Right. And that's what I'm trying to figure out also, too, in terms of um, because so like here's the interesting thing. Normally, Michael, because of that point, I would lean towards one of them if only one of them was involved in this race as like the makeup win. But because there is two of them, I, I do worry that they're going to cancel each other out for that exact same reason. And there won't be enough of a strong rally for one to edge out the other and claim the win. Uh, we'll see. You know, I think Widows is going to do better than, than I was anticipating over the summer. Ah, he's conceded. Yes. But Matt, you keep acting like uh, Michael Ryan and I were saying it, w- it had no chance to get nominated for Best Picture. Let, let me be clear. Covered. Ryan definitely did say that. Well, Michael and I never said that. The very I always least. had it in like the. Yeah, like the 10th slot or around there, our our disagreement was over the prospect of it winning picture. Oh, I still think it has a chance. Um, I, I, I have it obviously getting nominated. Uh, you know, obviously the film needs to release, you know, and that's how we, we feel about a lot of things right now. Like Vice, for example, we don't know if critics are going to go for that film, you know, 
very, very well. Um, there's there, there are things that we can, you know, predict, um, and there are things that we can assume. Widows is one of those things where I have not yet heard a single person uh, talk about that movie and say that they hated it. All I keep hearing is people say they're not sure if it's an Oscar contender or not. And I almost wonder if that's something that they're telling themselves to not set themselves up for disappointment when in reality, it totally could. I will be so pleased to laugh at anybody when Widows, I'm just going to say it right here, Widows is taking home best picture. Jesus. Okay. That's what I'm saying. That's a bold statement, Tasty. Well, now it's there, and it's never getting taken back unless it gets edited out. (laughs) No one will then know. Well, let me ask this question, all right? So looking at everyone's best director picks at the moment for nominations, uh, does anybody have Bradley Cooper missing? Not currently, no. But I could see it as a possibility for sure. And uh, why do you think that is? I think that... Uh, Well, for a couple of reasons. One, we know that they have a history at the Academy with actor turned director sometimes not making it. And I think that could play out. I also think that there's a possibility where A Star is Born kind of hits a wall with its momentum. And, you know, depending on how the season shapes out, there might be other contenders that'll come up and people will maybe not be as passionate about that movie as they were in October when they were watching it. And I could see a scenario where, you know, maybe all of the love and support of that film coalesces around Cooper in acting, but maybe not in some of the other categories. And director could be a place to knock him out, especially if you have some other contenders that maybe have some more passion behind them. I really feel like this race this year is kind of going to come down to whether the voters are wanting to put their names behind something that is making a political or social statement or whether or not they want to get back to sort of the root of what can make entertainment so great is that it's a true escape from, even though I know a star is born really does delve into issues of like addiction and um, knowing who you are. It's, it's on a more personal level. It's about like an individual change versus like a societal change and that's kind of where I'm feeling like this is going to come down to for that. Shades of 2016 with Moonlight and La La Land all over mm. again, in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So looking at it that way, I, I think like before, and it kills me to say this, I think I have to take Damien Chazelle out of director at this point. Yeah. He's on the fringe, but I still have him in there. He's number five for me, but... I I think he is on the bubble for sure. I got him out. I think, <sighs> I, I think the director's branch is really going to appreciate his work there. I, I could see a world where he gets the necessary precursors, but misses in the end. Like he, I mm-hmm. I think I think for sure he's getting into something like DGA, for example. Yeah, his Damien Chazelle really feels to me like that person that will get nominated at Critics Choice Globes, DGA. And, you know, maybe even BAFTA, but then just comes up short in the end. I I get serious vibes from him with that movie. Yeah. Uh, in his place, you know, it's like it's interesting because I have Spike Lee getting in. I have Coron and they're the only two like I feel secure about. And even then, it's like I actually you know I take that back. The only person I feel really secure about is Alfonso Coron. Outside of that, you know, Barry Jenkins, Cooper, Chazelle. Lanthimos, Steve McQueen, as we mentioned before, Adam McKay. Although I am I am starting to back off on McKay, even though, you know, obviously no one's seen the movie yet. <laughs> um, I think that's the only reason why I'm backing off on it, though. I really don't know. I have no, like, ideas why. But um, Ryan Coogler. Uh, you know, they're campaigning the crap out of that film. Stranger things have happened. His direction is very good in it to the extent that any director can really leave their own stamp on a marvel movie he did it and he's got residual love from creed some people felt like he should have been the conversation for that and fruitvale station um he's not going to win under any circumstances but a nomination for him is not impossible if the academy really loves black panther 
And he just met Alfonso Caron the other day, and the two of them hit it off, apparently. So people in the industry are respecting him. So that's going to be something to consider. Yeah, it's just it's just weird because, you know, Black Panther getting into Best Picture is one thing. But to have it get into like things like director and adapted screenplay, I, I feel like that hill is even harder to climb. I just think it's so funny that like two days before the movie opened and we were seeing the reviews, I said, oh, this could get like a Best Picture nomination and maybe like visual effects or costumes. And I think Matt said like, oh, no, it's not going to happen. And here we are talking about director. And it's get out screenplay. all over again. It, <laughs> it really is because, uh, you know, there, there were times where I think genre can break through. And then there are times where the genre business of the Academy wins out in the argument against me. And this was one of those things where I, I think Josh Parham and I said it all year. We were just like, I'll believe it when I see it. And we're getting to that point where let me tell you, if a couple of critics awards go for the film in things like picture, for example, like I could see a world where Black Panther wins best picture from a few critics awards. Kind of like, uh, like as you said, JC has almost like that statement yep. type of film, uh, but also as a representation of what other movie from 2018 kind of like was the movie of 2018. What was the talk of the town? Right. I mean, and some people will say things like A Star is Born and you know things of that nature. But when it comes to like cultural relevance and how much of a phenomenon uh, Black Panther was, even though it was early on in the year, I don't think people are going to forget that at all. Absolutely. You know, it sticks with people. Another contender to consider. I just saw Can You Ever Forgive Me the other day. And I don't have Marielle Heller in my five, but I think she's one to watch for if they really like that movie. That's a movie that's going to play incredibly well on screeners. Mm -hmm. And as people discover it, maybe around the holidays, I think the writers and the acting branches, you know, the writing and acting, they're going to go head over heels for that movie. But Marielle Heller really does a terrific job with the material. So I am we'll so see. glad you liked that movie, Michael. I knew I knew it would be a shorts film. Uh, that's my favorite of the year so far. I mean, I yeah, still I, more I to figured. see, but that's right up there. Yeah, it's it's excellent. Yeah, I mean, like I I had her in my top five for the longest time. You know, if they want to break up the very very male, you know pool of directors this and year and she's been doing good work you know the diary of a teenage girl was excellent great, I think yeah. It was even better no and, and i agree with you and I, I used this argument on i can't remember if it was on the podcast review or another episode that we did but my argument is that if tom mccarthy can get in for spotlight for what i would consider unflashy direction that focuses on like you said michael the acting and the writing why can't she well, there's there's not just McCarthy. There's a long history of relatively unflashy direction. Oh no, there's... I'm just choosing a recent example. Is all. Yeah. Like like if like if McDonough had gotten in for three billboards, I probably would have said the same thing. One other question mark I have right now in the director's race is Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes. So JC, Katie, you've both seen the favorite, right? Yes. My... Yes. What do you two think? That's my number one movie for the year. Me too. Is it really? Mm -hmm. Yes. It, it is so entirely a a thing that I love and yeah, there was so much about it that I really enjoyed. I sat there for the entire two hours, just like, Oh, this is amazing. And everything I wanted out of this film, like the direction, the, the costumes, the acting, the script, like it was all just so perfectly of a piece. I'm with you there, Katie. For me, it's like all the things you mentioned, the text, you know, like the cinematography, the unique editing choices, um, the sound, like, that, that movie to me so far of all the movies I've seen this year was one of those few movies because there, there is a couple. But this was the one I thought that did it best where every element of the filmmaking process just came together for me with this one. I just the biggest... I, I can't. I just I mean, I really liked it. I really I thought it was hilarious. Maybe it's just my OCD, but like the transitions the little title sequences that would come on before the next part the spacing and that lettering made me want to vomit i just wanted to go into the screen and push all the letters together i was so irritated at that that i just couldn't even focus but i will say that i loved the way the film ended i thought like the ending was such was really cathartic in like the worst way possible. I don't want to ruin mm -hmm. it for anybody, but it, it might be my favorite shot of the year and also my favorite editing transition of the year, probably. Yeah, I did love that. I, I will give that to it. 
And I think the biggest thing for me that I was the most worried about with how was how it would handle the queer relationships in this, because, you know, the three main characters are portrayed either as bisexual or lesbians, and it handles it so well. It's very uh, realistic, even especially for that time period when that such a thing was, you know, something to lose your head over, literally. And I think Lanthimos handles it in just with the most delicacy and realism that it was very satisfying to watch and it be treated with such a respect. Now, JC, I guess maybe you're the more appropriate person to ask in this instance, then. Do you feel that uh, Lanthimos's uh, direction is going to be too weird for them to embrace? Uh, I, yeah, that, that's the only, as I, I agree. I do love, um, I do love the choices that they made in regards to um, the relationships. And I just, I loved how luxurious they were in, uh, in filming those scenes. Like it was very unashamed um, lesbian love or lust, whatever it was. But I just, I really loved that. I will say though, that like the cinematography and the upshots, I just, I don't know. It did seem, it seems, it does seem a little bit weird for the Academy, but I mean. They went for Tom Hooper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Will, you would. (laughs) And and that has actually been a big question mark for me, actually, since I've seen it too, was I'm very curious, Will, if you're going to despise the visual aesthetic of this movie or not based on that comparison. I'll be very, very, very curious to see. Do you know when you're seeing it? No. Oh, yeah, I, I'm seeing it at AFI Fest. Okay. So within the next two weeks. Okay, very good. Uh, anybody else have any other uh, contenders for best director, any other questions they want to ask or anything they want to bring up before we move on? I don't have them in the predictions, but what are the odds of Peter Farrelly getting in on Green Book Club? <clears throat> it's the same man. thing about non-flashy direction, man. If they really like the film... It could happen. If he gets in for Best Director, I think we have to start considering that as a Best Picture threat, a real threat. He feels to me... Like Martin McDonough? It's... No, not even so much that. Um, He feels to me like the DGA nominee uh, that misses. Like... um, Garth Davis. Exactly. Yep. He probably has a lot of friends in the DGA. Right. Maybe not the Oscars branch, but the DGA, they're all going to come out for him, I think. This is something that I, I have a hard time seeing. I, 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 and I just do because I don't know. I, I don't I don't think Green Book is going to be as wildly embraced as we think it's going to be. You know, the trailer played before Can You Ever Forgive Me for a very ampus friendly audience. You know, you have your, you know, <clears throat> upper class types and then the steak eaters too. And everyone was really responding to this trailer in a way that seemed like it was going to be a huge, huge hit. I mean, it is going to be a huge, huge hit, but Katie and I have discussed this extensively. The movie, uh, it's, it, it's going, it's going to have detractors. Yeah. And I think a lot of those detractors have not had an opportunity yet or waiting when the, uh, when the iron is hot to uh, strike you know, with with this movie, but it's it's gonna happen, and I do think that the movie is going to. I, I still think it's gonna get into picture screenplay, Mortensen, Mahershala Ali, but that's kind of where I stop with it at that point. And I also just don't think it's going to be um, the picture winner or anything like that. Yeah, I think in a year, this movie's focus is is pretty much entirely about race. And in a year where you have Black Klansmen and Sorry to Bother You and The Hate You Give, like, this movie is just not going to rise to the level, no matter how good. And the direction is okay. There's nothing to write home about. It's nothing flashy. But I think that that will be a considering factor for people, especially for Ampus, where, you know, Oscar's so white wasn't that long ago. And I like the movie more than Katie does, um, but we both agreed that it's it's one of those movies where, uh, you know what? Here's what I will say, actually, because I think this is happening a lot, especially with Bohemian Rhapsody that just opened. There is going to be a divide, not as big of a divide between the critics and audiences, but m- maybe in this instance, awards pundits and audiences, if that makes sense. Because I, I think the film's still going to do well critically, 
um, better than Bohemian Rhapsody did. But I just think you're going to see this divide with this movie all season long. I mean, I can definitely see that. I mean, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I can't judge uh, its quality for myself. But, you know, it definitely does feel like one of those movies that, you know, the critical response will be very warm to it, I can imagine, and audiences will really like it. I don't know how far it'll go, like, outside of Mahershala in terms of critics' wins, but then once the industry starts to weigh in, it might pick up a lot of steam once that starts to happen. I will say this. Um, I have a very, very big feeling that Green Book is going to win the Golden Globe and possibly the PGA. Well, I think it's going to win the Golden Globe unless Mary Poppins just turns out to be some sensation. Yeah. Is Green Book a uh, comedy? It yeah. is. Yeah. So you yeah. think? So you don't think the favorite is going to win the Globe for comedy? Uh, I I currently think it's going to be Green Book right now. Um, okay. I I have the favorite at number two uh, to win there, uh, but I I see this world where Mortensen will win comedy actor, and uh, the film will win comedy, and possibly Mahershala Ali because they didn't give it to him for Moonlight. Mm. Uh, three Golden Globe wins for Green Book. That would be a, a huge boost to that movie. And I think that's maybe when you'll start hearing the think pieces start to ramp up because they'll see the film is building momentum. Yeah. I mean, unless if Christian Bale for Vice goes comedy um, and then that film is universally acclaimed, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Alrighty, uh, so I want to transition over to some news that we got this week. Um, so Netflix made a very, very big move, and um, I want to tie this actually into Roma for a minute. They have announced that they are going to be releasing uh, some of their films in theaters before their Netflix premiere date, which is unprecedented for them. And we're starting to see them relent on this uh, issue, which has been in contention uh, for them now for a number of years, actually. And we've seen them butt heads with the Cannes Film Festival and with other studios. And it's just been this kind of back and forth tug of war um, of whether or not if Netflix will relent. And a large reason why I think it is happening is because of Roma. And they are starting to realize that they have to play the game instead of going by their own rules if they want Roma to be what they think is going to be, you know, the overall big contender uh, that it probably no doubt will be but they want to win they don't want just a nomination they want all of it you know so uh will i'm actually curious most of all what you think of this yeah i mean the biggest thing is i think they probably you know it is it is certainly possible that the film will win i have my doubts after seeing it not because it's not amazing just because i don't know that enough voters will go for it that passionately but um I think they probably wanted to avoid the headlines of Roma will be the lowest grossing best picture winner of all time and stuff. Um, you well, know, they won't so, know that because they're not going to report on box office. So they're going to release it theatrically, but they're not going to give away the box no, office numbers? Saying, That's what I've heard. They're going to keep it hidden, just like what? they've done for all the other movies that play for these two-week engagements at Landmark and all these other small chains, all the chains that uh, – have these Netflix movies, they are not going to report box office. But I thought the whole point of releasing it three weeks early was so that chains like AMC and Regal would take it because they have the three week before online. They can't go to AMC and Regal because they still require a 90 day. Oh, I thought it was only three weeks. Oh, wow. So. No, it's just going to be more time for it to play in the landmarks and maybe some of these independent art houses as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, it's okay, time for more so. people to see it and have it build word of mouth so then everyone else can watch it on Netflix and then the Oscar people can say they've been happy to see it on a screen. Wow. It could top, you know, Titanic for all you know, but you would never know it. Damn. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> it's not That's Netflix Titanic, for you. So you know. uh, they're doing this also with a couple of their other titles too. They're doing it with like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs um, and they're also doing it, I believe, with... Um, Bird Box. Bird Box. Doing it with but Bird Box as well. Those are just sort of coming along for the ride. If it weren't for Roma, they wouldn't have that. No, and I think they're doing this as a... Um, as like a courtesy to the other filmmakers. Yeah, something like that. And I think they're testing the waters for Scorsese's The Irishman as well. Because apparently Paul Schrader said last week that he knows that Netflix is going to do two weeks for The Irishman ahead of its Netflix release. But now that's sort of, you know... It hasn't been officially confirmed yet. I still can't 
wrap my head around the fact that it looks like that that film is, um, unless if the date has changed, is it still coming out like in February? February or March. Yeah, like that's just so weird to me, but uh, whatever the case might be. Uh, they're Netflix, you know, they could do what they want. <laughs> uh, speaking of Netflix, did anybody here watch The Other Side of the Wind that released? Yeah. No. Oh, what'd you think, Josh? Um, I think that it is a an interesting oddity. Uh, I'm glad that we have the opportunity to see it. I think to call it a completed film is disingenuous. Um, I think you can tell that this that there was a reason why this movie was not completed 40 years ago. Uh, I don't think it really works as a cohesive movie. It feels very incomplete, really, it does. It's interesting to see. I'm glad we got a chance to view it, but I, I, I was not really that into it personally hmm. yeah no i i, I kind of have to echo that i will say this though um watching the documentary they'll love me when i'm dead immediately right afterwards totally changed my idea of the movie and it made me actually want to go back and watch it again so i think the two have to be seen together mm-hmm. um as companion pieces so if you haven't had a chance to watch that yet josh i really really recommend it it's fascinating directed by morgan neville who did uh won't you be my neighbor yeah mm. And I mean, that's that's a very interesting thing to say, but then it also makes me feel like if I have to do homework <laughs> to watch... No, 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 you know, you're if right. If I have to watch another movie in order to get your first movie, I kind of feel like your movie then is not very successful. Nope, I I, I agree with you. I, I just think that the two... I, honestly, I think the two should have just been like together. They should not have been separate. Uh, and they should have just played out as one long four-hour, three-and-a-half-hour, whatever it is thing. Kind of like doing a big documentary interspersed with uh, uh, like footage from Other Side of the Wind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would have been very meta. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. I think that would have been a more successful way to go about that. Hey, everyone. I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. (laughs) Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. All right, fan questions. Let's address some of these questions here that we received for this week's episode. So uh, let's actually start off with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. We discussed this on our review on the podcast. This This one comes from Daniel Jakes. Uh, while he did have problems with the movie, he does see that it is performing extremely well with audiences. Obviously, it's having a huge opening weekend in terms of its box office, and Rami Malek is indeed sensational. Now the question on everybody's mind is, can the film overcome its reviews to get Rami Malek a nomination? Yes. I haven't seen it, but I just think, based on what I'm hearing, yes. Uh, I I do think so, too. I don't have him predicted yet, because I want to see how The Mule performs, but if the mule comes out and or vice even uh, by an extension, I know I kind of have it in my mind that Bale is kind of a default nominee based on that trailer alone because it just kind of screams Gary Oldman darkest hour transformation, you know, with the makeup and everything to me, mm-hmm. the voice. Um, obviously, if one of those two falls out, I think that paves the way then for Malik. Yeah, I mean we look at it, there are 11 performances this century that have gotten in despite being from films that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. And the good news for Malik is that ultimately, you know, when we first start talking about, oh, take them out of your predictions, the film was at like a 41 or 38 on Rotten Tomatoes. And it ended up around 59, which you know, honestly, it's a random critic or two away from becoming positive in its reviews. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest thing working in its favor. Typically, if you get in for a rotten film, it's because you are a respected veteran like Robert Duvall, Denzel Washington, Meryl Streep, Max, Max von Sydow, et cetera, et cetera. This could happen, though. This is going to make like 150 domestic 
uh, that's a lot of money. And 150 domestic plus great reviews plus a not terrible Rotten Tomatoes score makes me think I was too hasty in removing him from my predictions. So I'm going to refer to him as Rami J. Israel Esquire. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not I'm not kidding. Like he may not show up maybe in the critics awards, but he does feel like that contender that shows up at the awards that matter like Denzel Washington did. And we all kind of still wrote it off. I don't think if I remember correctly, I don't think any of us here were predicting him or maybe one or two of us were in the end. Uh, it could very well happen. That's going to be a steak eaters movie in the Academy. All these guys are going to go see this movie because they love Queen from, you know, the 70s and they want to see this movie. And I think he's just going to impress them in the actors branch. Mm. This is also an opportunity to correct a misconception. I, I keep seeing people, not just Matt, comparing Rami Malek to Brian Cranston and Trumbo. Trumbo was not badly reviewed. It had a 75 on Rotten Tomatoes. Like it, no one was saying Trumbo's the best film of the year. But I feel like we've recreated that. We've created this narrative in our head where Trumbo got panned, and it didn't. It, didn't. it, was, <laughs> it was a surprise when Cranston started showing up because. It was a small studio, and the film didn't seem that passionate. But the it's reviews were not It's an HBO movie that made it onto the big screen, and if you saw it on HBO, you would love it. And, you know, I think my comparison there that, you know, I said to you all about that was I was just getting at the fact that it was the right time in this television star's career for him to make that transition. And with Mr. Robot coming to an end and the success of that show and how much uh, people like Rami Malek, like they like Brian Cranston, that's where I see the similarities there. And yes, Trumbo did not get as bad reviews as Bohemian Rhapsody. I would still say they're like in the same ballpark, though, where they're not universally acclaimed. Yeah, but neither are about two thirds of big Oscar contenders, <laughs> you know, like Les Miserables and Lion and some of those. And you, But like I said, them... no, the, those weren't like the, the TV star comparison is what I'm getting at here mostly. You know, making making that full transition. And I think he's just at the right time in his career uh, for this sort of thing to happen to him. Like I said, I, I'm not ready to predict it yet just based on the reviews, like you said. Um, I'm also struggling to see, too, where else it could possibly pop up for a nomination. But things like costume design, sound mixing, maybe. So... Well, does do you think it needs to pop up in other places? I mean, Trumbo, you know, you want to make that comparison. I think Cranston was its only nomination, right? No, it was. It was. I it, it, like it, it. Would it would just make me feel better if I knew that it had another shot elsewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I think also that movie Bohemian Rhapsody. The only thing that people really want to say is excellent about it is Rami Malek. So if he's the only thing that's popping up in the conversation. That's just the place where all the support's going to coalesce around. Mm. So let's uh, let's switch gears over to another movie and the performances in that. This one comes from Luca uh, Giliberti, and he asks: This is a question for Katie and JC. What do you think about Widow's chances for Viola Davis and Daniel Kaluuya for nominations? Great. Yeah, definitely, especially Viola. Oh yeah. Well, I let's see. I just. I just updated my um, – <laughs> all of my predictions are up to date now, guys. It's really incredible. Woo! <laughs> I know. And if I can remember correctly – wait, I already forgot them. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, but everything I've heard about Melissa McCarthy has her up first. But after I see that movie, there's a pretty good chance I'll probably push Davis into first. I just have a feeling because she's my second spot right now. Her performance – was just magnetic. She has these like lush scenes of grief and strength that are just, oh my gosh, I just feel like it's, she's just incredible. I mean, wow. Like I would like to call her Madam President one day, realistically. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. And oh, Kaluuya, Katie, did you, Kaluuya was just terrifying as, yes. And he, and he was like the puppet master. Like he didn't even realistically just the way he instilled fear and his ways about like bringing people to kneel or heal were just, oh, my gosh, just shiver me timbers. 
right? <laughs> the the way he walks, the way he looks, his eyes, his eyes just look dead in yes. that movie. And mm-hmm. it's so upsetting. And um, yeah, Viola Davis just really brings every bit of emotion that she has to this role. And she has to, she gets put through the ringer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's the kind of a performance that I think the Academy will really dig. And yeah. Kaluuya, I don't know if he'll win, but a nomination for sure. Having not seen it yet, I do have Kaluuya in my five for supporting actor. And as for Davis, she is a very, very, very strong number six. I think once the movie opens, that could even grow more. So I know a lot of people are predicting it to be a box office hit. I think that really needs to happen. Like it, like it, like it can't. It cannot not be a hit in order for us to predict uh, these type these levels of nominations above the line for the films. Um, this is one of those instances where I do think the box office will matter. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, Matt, because I think especially with Widows, the whole narrative right now, whether justified or not, is sort of like you know this is the popcorn movie. I don't know if it's going to be an Oscar contender. And I think in order to break that narrative, it needs to be well established as a big successful moneymaker so that then you can kind of take it seriously in the other categories to be like, OK, we know that it is a big hit with audiences. Now take this seriously for awards. If it struggles to make money, then that's going to be something attaching itself to a narrative that is going to be hard to make the case for an Oscar contending uh, Oscar contender, I think. Yeah. Uh, Josh Parm. This one comes from Josh Blumenkrantz. Do you think mid-90s can get at least one Oscar nomination anywhere? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would I would hope that the Academy stays as far away from that movie as possible. Um, I mean, maybe the score can slip in. You know, there's a lot of respect for um, for those guys, but I'd be very happy if we never talked about mid-90s ever again. I don't think it's doing very well. No, I don't think it is either. It's not, it went down critically. Uh, it wasn't a flop in the box office. It made five million, which isn't horrible, but I uh, hmm. could have done better. Here's a question that I definitely want to address um, after I brought it up on last week's uh, episode. But this uh, came from uh, Michel uh, Thals. He's asking if Rosamund Pike has an outside shot at getting into Best Actress. I have heard excellent, excellent things about that performance. And if she had been with a Sony Pictures Classic or Fox Searchlight, I think we would have her in. But with the small distributor, it's going to be really tough for her. I agree with you. Um, I do see a world where she could be the surprise SAG nominee. Yeah, that could happen. Kind of like Sarah Sarah Silverman for I Smile Back. Okay, that's interesting to consider. I I didn't even realize the film was opening this weekend. You know, I thought it was an April release or something like that. So I have to really now factor her in to all of this. I also want to say, too, watch out for her to show up at BAFTA. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's a respected Uh British vet. But uh, I'm not kidding. I I, I said it uh, last week on the on the episode and I'm going to reiterate it here again. I think this is better than her performance in Gone Girl. Well, that's some high praise. It, it, I know what it means and I know the weight that it's carrying with it. Um, I honestly believe it. She's my, uh, my personal number two for best actress this year. I mean, I, I think she is that magnificent. Uh, okay. So now the next question, I like this question a lot because this is something I think about maybe more often than I should. Uh, this one comes from Brandon Stanwick. He's asking, is there any chance of a sweep this year? And if so, which film is most likely to sweep? A star is born. (laughs) I think that is the definite, uh, answer here. Um, there is a world where a star is born wins three acting, uh, awards, picture, director, song, text. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't yeah. think it's going to happen. I just think any movie that would have the min- momentum to, you know, win that many categories in this day and age is also going to guarantee backlash. But yeah, I mean, it could, you know, the, the possibility of it taking the big five has been discussed. And as much as I would like it not to win screenplay, that could happen. It could take supporting for Elliot's relatively small role, even though I don't think it will. And then basically every tech. I mean, there's a world, you know, I, I think Ann Thompson is predicting it to get in for costume design even. I mean, it could even get in 
to a lot of the most of the texts. It could get sound <laughs> sound editing, editing for La La Land. La La Land. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he gets yeah. in for sound editing. What? Definitely. <laughs> Well, the other thing about sound editing with La La Land is that the guy who is the sound editor for that film is the same person who does all of Clint Eastwood's movies. So, and he tends to get nominated quite frequently. So maybe it's just something where the branch likes him or something. I don't. Wasn't it the same sound team on A Star Is Born though? Uh, For mixing, I think it is. Uh, It might be. I know definitely the sound editor is the same guy, and he gets nominated very, very often. I'm going to do some research on this. Yeah, our guy Steve Morrow, who we had from La La Land, sound mixers on this. I know that. Right. There, there's a bunch of sound mixers on this. There's like six people. Well, I, I will say that I think a, a Star is Born has the potential to do it. Do I think it's going to happen? Uh, it, it depends. It really depends. Because here's the thing. And maybe you all have different definitions of this. Do you guys consider Gravity, Mad Max, La La Land to be, quote unquote, sweep? Or do you no. feel they have to win Best Picture in order to be considered then the sweep? You have to win Best Picture for yeah. Right, I, I exactly. Best Picture has to kind of come with that. You know, you can win a lot of the other awards and that shows that you're really well respected. But I feel like if Picture doesn't come with it, then it's still it's sort of like an asterisk by all those wins. Okay, so here we go. The sound editors, they are not the people from La La Land. However, both of them have worked on Eastwood films in the past. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, Next question. Michael? Yes. Chances of Emily Blunt getting a nomination. This one comes from HLVD Movies. It's tough to say because we haven't seen the movie yet, and that category is getting competitive. But I would give her, you know, it's going to sound low, but I would give her at least a 25% chance of getting in there because I think that movie is going to be really huge when it opens. And she seems likely to get nominated, possibly even win the Golden Globe for actress in a musical comedy. She will have some support. She's never been nominated before. People really like her. And if they respond to the movie and the character... I think that's something that we'll have to consider, even if we don't put her in the five. I want to throw an outside thing at, at you, too, like for a curveball. What if the industry support for A Quiet Place is stronger than we think, and she shows up in Supporting Actress? That's not going to happen. Even I know, crazy, I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, <laughs> what if they're in a we just want to reward Emily Blunt mood? They'll find room for Mary Poppins in not A Quiet Place. <laughs> okay. And I do think Mary Poppins is going to do well in the tech categories. I have I agree. production design and visual effects. And visual effects. Yeah, that's Matt. That is why I'm not coming and playing ball with you and predicting Infinity War. I think Poppins will take it. I have Mary Poppins in visual effects as well. Winning or nominated? For winning. Yeah, I, I can't move over to a win yet until I see the movie. But I have it in for a nomination. They released a new teaser trailer, or not teaser, like TV spot a couple of weeks ago. And it showed some of the, you know, fantasy CGI sequences, sort of like the Jolly Holiday version in this one. And it all takes place underwater, and it looks really beautiful. Like, it doesn't look like phony CGI. The way they incorporate that and then the 2D anim- animation, really phenomenal. So keep an eye out for that. And some of the songs. I know we all know Shallow's going to win, but keep an eye out for what Mark Shaman's doing because he has some baby material here, and he's well-liked. Mm-hmm. I think I think the week of Mary Poppins uh, returns release. I think I, I think the poll question is going to be uh, which spot on Michael's top ten do you think Mary Poppins returns will land? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I'm totally behind you on this Mary Poppins thing. Though that was one of my favorite movies as a kid, and like I just I'm so excited to see how they mix the CGI with the 2D animation, and if they're able to pull off that same feel. So this is one I'm really excited yeah. for. Yeah, well, you year. know when when Rob Marshall does a musical. That's when he tends to be at his best. So we shall see. For the first time. <laughs> Last question here. I think this is very interesting because this is uh, us maybe trying to predict a shift that could happen in the race. And um, I just want to like kind of just talk this out. David Mitchell Baker asks us, do you think that this year could see a midseason controversy like last year's early absence of Gerwig and Peel uh, grabbing uh, getting best director nominations where they probably should have? As a result of which, then how can that affect uh, somebody's Oscar chances? So, you know, think of it like from a perspective of 
uh, try to think of it like if somebody that we think is going to get in misses somewhere and it's going to then change a narrative and build up momentum. Does anybody have a feeling or have a prediction in their mind of anything like that happening? If it looks like Black Panther isn't doing well, then we could always say that. But I think it is going to do well, so I'm not so worried. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you have Black Panther getting a Golden Globe nomination? I don't. See, I wonder if that's where that could all begin, personally. I wonder if it miss if it misses Critics' Choice and it doesn't get Golden Globe. If it misses Critics' Choice, then that's a problem. Yeah. Golden Globes are very fickle about that type of stuff, so I wouldn't worry so much. I do want to remind people, though, that Mad Max did get a Golden Globe nomination, but something like, say, The Dark Knight did not. And that was an indication for both films of whether or not they would make it or miss. Mm-hmm. So I do I do wonder if Black Panther is going to suffer a similar fate then. You know, another thing that I think might happen this season, and we've talked about this already, um, we all are concerned that the Best Director lineup is looking very male right now. And I think that if we get through like Critics' Choice and Golden Globes and we're seeing an all-male lineup, I think that the conversation is really going to start to shift to looking specifically at contenders that have female directors in uh, in the conversation and start to push them forward. And I think that if we get to that point and we don't have movies uh, popping up with directors that um, are, are with contenders that have female directors, I think you're going to see that conversation shift to try to find those movies and push them forward. Well, it's a little tough to say right now at the moment because we have seen Can You Ever Forgive Me? We know that Marielle Heller is there as an option. People have seen On the Basis of Sex and Mary Queen of Scots. There is currently an embargo in place at the moment. So we don't know if they are on the table like she is at the moment. Uh, So I would say that, yes, while that is certainly a possibility, uh, it's just harder to say at the moment because um, we don't know how those other two contenders are going to play out yet. But we will know in a few days. No, we don't know. But if you just look at the consensus of people's predictions for best director right now, I I think the vast majority of them have all male lineups. And oh, no, no, I understand what you're saying. I'm just trying to figure out then which of the three does everyone get behind? Yeah, yeah. It will. It depends on which movie rises to the top. And I think right now we are probably thinking, can you ever forgive me? It depends. We don't know how the other two are going to play out, certainly. But yeah, it'll probably be one of those three that will have the consensus around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that pretty much does it this week for uh, fan questions. Does anybody else have uh, anything else they want to add before we go? Uh, I, yeah, I just... do want to add one more thing here about sort of an add-on to that last question. Where I don't think we're going to see so much controversy this year is when it comes to uh, Oscar So White. You know, we had... 2014 2015 where that was a big problem but then they've been a lot better in 2016 2017 looking at it this year i have six actors of color in my lineup which i'm not as much as we would ideally like to have but i think it's a good trend going forward after those two years Uh, every category right now i have at least uh one performer in there so just something to consider you know we've come a long way in those two years yeah no i i definitely agree with you on that Anybody else? Final thoughts? Uh, I just want to just very quickly um, just mention two movies that I recently saw that I just want to kind of shout out. Uh, I saw the new Suspiria, and I really liked it, shockingly. And I want to urge other people to just share in the hysteria of that film and just the madness of it. And I also saw... Wait, 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 but Josh, before you you get to that second film. Yeah. You have... I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you 15 seconds to convince Michael Schwartz why he should see Suspiria. Go. <laughs> uh, you get a lot of Tilda Swinton. You get some great weird dancing in it. And you will get an experience that you will never forget. Whether you enjoy that, Michael, is totally up to you. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> but... I'll go on Amazon Prime one day when it's there and fast forward and watch a few scenes. <laughs> I mean, Michael, I was shocked that I liked the movie. So I, I don't know what that will say for you, but I was not really expecting to be on board with that film and i walked out surprisingly really liking it so okay well, and uh, just so that we're did. keeping score right now i really like it uh dan bayer likes it cody derricks likes it will like it yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the track record is good anybody else here seen it i haven't yet i want to yeah same boat okay 
Well, we'll see if this trend could continue. Okay, Will, what do you say? What do you say? Be the tiebreaker here. <laughs> I, I don't think Michael Schwartz is going to like this film. I don't think it offers much for Michael Schwartz to enjoy. I'll just go see Can You Ever Forgive Me Again and call it a day. I, I, listen, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there, Will. I totally do. But I will, I will work tooth and nail, as I always have from day one, to just have Michael broaden his his experiences his paths uh, like just just broaden just a little bit you know that doesn't mean you have to like it i mean i'm very comfortable with michael saying it's his least favorite film of the year if that's the case yeah it's a very polarizing film but i think if you can get into the rhythm of it which is a big ask for some people i think it's a really fascinating movie to watch it's like trying to convince Will Mavity to watch a three-hour Amadeus. You know, just do it. <laughs> I'll do it at some point. It's you know, it's unlike Michael. Witt. Like I want to see Amadeus. That's not quite the same. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Uh, well, I just wanted to mention just. Oh one yeah, that's right. The second I film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently saw Minding the Gap, which the new documentary, and it is incredible. I loved it so much. It is my favorite documentary of the year. Wow. It might even be my favorite film of the year so far. It is so good. You've seen Won't You Be My Neighbor in Free Solo. Yes, and I think that this is far better than both of those movies. And I really like both of those films, but this to me just floored me. I think it is incredible. I loved it so much. Like I said, it it might just be my favorite movie of the year. Wow. Is it a 9 or a 10 from you? Uh, I would say it's a 10. Wow. And that's on Hulu, right? Yep, it is streaming on Hulu right now. You can go and see it. Oh, nice. Awesome. I think I'm going to do that. Great. Anyone else? Uh, Vote Widows 2018. (laughs) Vote General 2018. Yeah, please vote. There you go. Yes, go vote. It's important. It's very important. And I know that people say that all the time. It's very important. It's more important than ever. I cannot emphasize that enough. On the 10-year anniversary of recording this episode, by the way, of Barack Obama getting elected. It was 10 years ago today. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, such a great time. I miss it. <laughs> Me too. Times have changed. All right. Well, Michael Schwartz, where can they find you on the internet? As always, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. Just a warning that there is going to be a lot of election coverage this week and very little movie coverage. So just... Uh, be prepared for that. All righty. Will Mavity. Find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Katie Schaefer. You can find me at KT underscore Schaefer. Josh Parham. I'm on Twitter at JR Parham. JC Aldridge. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JC Aldridge. Follow me on the gram. What's up? <laughs> I like following JC on Instagram. She posts inspirational posts that make me feel great every day. <laughs> Good. All right, and you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 115 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also now on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Write us a little comment. We really, really appreciate the feedback that is put there by you all. Link will be provided on the post on nextbestpicture.com. And also, if you're feeling generous, head on over to our Patreon page, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Everyone, please vote on November 6th. Thank you so much, and we shall see you all next time. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.